We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by Blue Wire Pods. Shout out to the new company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You guys can follow me on whatever that app is that Elon Musk runs these days. You guys know my at name on there at Mike Dugar, M I K E D U G A R. Thank you for all the love and support on there. Shout out to everyone who has subscribed to our YouTube channel. Seahawks Man to Man is the name of the channel. That's Seahawks Man to Man, Man the Number Two Man. Uh, that is, we appreciate all the love and support on there, whether you watch or listen. If you are listening now uh, on another platform, go over on YouTube, just hit the subscribe button and come right back. Even for someone who just listens to the audio version, we appreciate all those subscribers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Chris, go ahead and talk to him. What is going on, everybody? We want to thank you for all the love and support throughout the season. And now we are in the off-season mode, so we appreciate you guys staying, t- staying tapped in with us. We appreciate all the love and support. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. As Chris alluded to, we are back, so to speak. I've been on paternity leave uh, for the last month or so, and I'll take another chunk of paternity leave uh, after the draft. So expect kind of another little... Um, lull in podcast there we'll get to that later uh for now uh i'm coming to you from the scouting combine in indianapolis uh by the time you're hearing this john schneider probably will have spoken at the combine or he will be very close to speaking depending on when you tap in uh but before we get to that um you guys had so many questions uh from the offseason so much has happened since we last recorded which was when mike mcdonald was hired um mike mcdonald has spoken since then um, he's hired a staff since then. They've done some contract stuff since then. The new salary cap has come out. Um, some players have already hit free agency because they've been released by their team since then. None from the Seahawks, but, you know, just around the league. So um, a lot to get to. Uh, we appreciate all of the questions you guys submitted. As always, we appreciate the love. Love hearing from you guys. Love knowing what you guys want to hear about. Um, that is excellent. So we appreciate that. Uh, Chris, let's uh, kick it off with the uh, first question that matches the title of the show. Uh, very, very appropriate. Uh, what do we have that was Gino related? Uh, is Gino? Is now somebody had a Gino question though on Twitter? I forget what the exact the Gino question was. Something about a trade. Um, but either way, let's just start with Gino. Let's start with Gino. Gotcha. Uh, as you guys can see, the title of the show is Gino uh, in the Seahawks' future. Um, he's 
you know, the main guy that you guys want to know about, they just restructured his contract. Uh, that makes him a little trickier to trade, um, but makes him more expensive on the back end, frees up some cap space. Now we can get into that. Um, but first, I want you guys to hear this clip. Uh, this clip, you got this ready, Chris? Already. Uh, good. All right, cool. We got this. Um, this Hard just games. dropped, I believe, on Sunday. This is Aaron Levine of Q13. All credit to Q13. This is their video. This is their one-on-one sit-down interview. I believe this aired on Sunday. Um, I just saw it on you know Monday. Uh, I saw Aaron post it, so I was like, let me check it out. Um, and here is Aaron asking Mike McDonald, the new Seahawks head coach, about the future of the quarterback position, specifically Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Are Geno Smith and Drew Locke both involved in the future of this organization going forward and, and, and finding success here? Yeah, that's a tough question. And it's one that I probably can't answer right now, yeah. but um, you know, we're doing a lot of work on those guys and I've had conversations just to get to know them and just to understand who they are as people and their background and, you know, you know, goals and what their family's like and where they're from. You know, I didn't know anything about them, you know, coming into this whole thing. So right now we're in the phase of figuring out who they are and obviously, you know, one or two or both, you know, would fit into our plans moving forward. But, um, you know, right now we probably don't have that answer for you. Now, I saw this. This is like before we recorded, just a little behind the scenes. Chris hadn't seen it yet. So I was like, oh, man, let me make sure Chris sees this. This is – that, Chris, because uh, I think that one of the questions we got was, you know, with the Seahawks, you know, could they trade Geno still? Um, we'll, start, we'll start with Geno here. Man, I thought it was very fascinating that – the Seahawks or that the coach would not answer in the affirmative with a question like that, particularly as it becomes to Gino or pertains to Gino. Cause with Drew Locke, he's a free agent. You don't really have to answer if someone who's about to be a free agent is in the future uh, is in your organization's future. You know, that's you're, you're not the Mike McDonald is not in charge of personnel in that way. He, he's partnered with the guy who is, but it's not totally his job. So it was like, yeah, you know, John handles that can't speak to that, but he can be like, yeah, you know, Gino's under contract. Um, we'll see what the future holds, but you know, like we have him for the next couple of years. We're really excited about the stuff he's done. He just played in the Pro Bowl. You know what I'm saying, Chris? You know, you can coach speak it up. <laughs> Instead, he was like, shoot, I don't know. Which is in the context of having the guy under contract um and just restructuring his contract, that's pretty I don't want to call it crazy or is I don't want to use a, a different adjective. I just found that very fascinating, I guess is the word. Um I, I would use there just because he is under contract and him being under contract gives you such a natural scapegoat or not scapegoat, but an escape route, I guess, to answer that question. You could easily, uh, like I said, be like, Hey, you know, Gino's under contract with us for the next couple seasons. Um, he did, you know, did some good stuff last year. We're going to, we're going to try to, you know, I'm going to let John handle, you know, being involved in all the conversations, you know, as the first day the free agency in the draft, but you know, for now, Gino's our, our guy, even if he just says for now, Gino's our guy, which still has a qualifier attached to it. You kind of hear that a lot of times too. It's like, yeah, right now he's our guy. None of that. We're just like, shoot, man. Could be, could not be. I got to find out where he's from and about his family. All things are pretty Googleable, by the way. Um, but, you know, if he wants to hear him from Gino, where he's from and all that, that's fine. You, you can watch his pivot interview from last year with Ryan Clark and figure out all those answers. But whatever. He wants to talk to him. But yeah, Chris, that was before that clip. I don't want to read too much into it, but before that clip, when we got the question in about, hey, well, you know, is Gino going to be the guy still after the restructure? I'd have been like, yeah, of course. What the, what the hell? You know, now I'm like, uh, if the coach doesn't know, how can we possibly know? You know? No, it's production, behind the scenes production between Mike and I 
I rapped with him before we hopped on, obviously, and on, on the drive back to the crib, Mike was like, did you see the interview with Aaron Levine and Coach Mike McDonald? I was like, no, nah, I haven't seen it yet. And when Mike said what he just explained to you guys, my immediate response was, that is wild. <laughs> because <laughs> it's not as if... I, I just... In my head, it just started trade scenarios. Mm-hmm. It's clearly he's. They, this, it's clear Mike McDonald is not sold on him, because if he was, he would have said, as Mike alluded to, yeah, that, that's our guy for the next two seasons, as he's under contract mm-hmm. for the head or at coach. least just, at least the next one season. You know, you're right. Least, the next one season, at minimum, he didn't say any of that, and he could have. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you never talked to him. You know, you watch the guy on film. You know, you you see what you like, you don't like. If he's your guy, you go with it. I use the over-exaggeration to a point, and Mike was able to bring it down to a, a, a similar point that made more sense. And it's the, the same discussion. With the, if, you, if the Green Bay's head coach, Matt LaFleur, was asked the same question, how do you think he would answer that, ladies and gentlemen? If Matt LaFleur was asked the same question, hey, future thoughts on Aaron Love and him being your quarterback. Jordan Love. Or excuse, Aaron, Jesus, man. Jordan Love. You think he would say... Yeah, I'm not sure right now at this moment. What? <laughs> no, I, obviously Jordan had a good postseason. Geno didn't make the postseason, but Geno Smith is good. He's not a bad quarterback. And for your head coach, the new head coach to come in and kind of not allude to him being on the roster for one season is kind of head scratching. It makes you wonder: Is Geno still? It could he could he be potentially be traded? And the answer is yes. Based on that answer, what I just saw with Mike McDonald, there's not a, there's not one part of me that thinks, oh yeah, he'll be on the roster 100 for sure. There's 50-50 now. I was more bullish 75% once we saw that restructure and everything that was reported last week. But now this news makes me think, oh, they're not. They are really considering moving on, whether they can draft a guy or if they can find a valuable trade asset, find a deal with another team. I'm not sure how many suitors are out there for Geno Smith right now. I think his spot with Seattle is really gold right now. He's the, we know fans know what to expect from him. The team knows what they can get from him. We know what capable what Geno is capable of. I don't know if the market out there would say, yeah, well, well I mean, what is Geno worth in a trade? What would you put him as? Fourth round, fifth round pick? Me? No, hell no. Uh, before we get to that, I do want to talk about that. I want to just uh, specify some of the restructure stuff because we haven't talked about it on this show yet. Um, and also be- before I get to that as well. So two things, uh, <laughs> someone on Twitter, this is important. They asked Aaron Levine when that interview was, was it before, or after the restructure, he said it was about two hours before the restructure was reported, um, which I guess is, is pretty notable in terms of the timing. Cause I think the restructure was reported on the 22nd or something like that. Yeah. Thursday. It was reported Thursday by I think field Yates or something like that. Uh, so what they did is they they took his roster bonus, which was nine point six million, and they just divided that in half um, and added that. Um, well, they yeah they turned that into a signing bonus and then spread that over the re- the remainder of his deal, which is two years. So you basically tack on four point eight uh, of that to his uh, to his salary this year, and then you tack on another like four point eight next year, and that's how you get like his new numbers, and that's why his salary his cap hit for this year drops down. To, he drops down by 4.8 because you're, that's how you, I don't want to go over all the math, but basically it becomes a little bit, it becomes a little bit cheap money. He was already uh, going to get this year. Just got a little bit of it got pushed into next year. That's the, let's, let's go with that. Ignore those numbers for a second. What some of what half of what he was owed this year is just getting thrown into next year. That's the simplest 
uh, form of it. Uh, he becomes a little bit more expensive next year. Uh, so I think his cap number next year, this is according to over the cap, goes now it's at 38.5 million. Um, and if he's cut next year, his dead money, which is what you still have to pay, uh, basically, or that you've already paid him that, you know, you don't get savings from, uh, that number is 13.5. So not bad. That's uh, not a bad number. Uh, and that would save, uh, I forget what the cap savings uh, on that is, but I think it's like somewhere like 12.7 million. So they did that. That was the timing of the interview, which is notable. That's the math that they did. And to get to the trade part of it, because of how cheap Gino is, for the team acquiring him, you're paying him, I think, like $12.9 million maybe. I think you're paying him the twelve point seven in his base salary is $12.7 million, plus like his little workout bonus. I won't call it a little workout bonus because it's $200,000. But in the context of the NFL, $200,000 is a little bit of money. So you guys get what I'm saying. So you're getting Geno Smith for like $13 mil. If you're the acquiring team getting a quarterback of that caliber, whether you think Geno's the man or not, you can probably agree that under today's quarterback landscape, he's worth more than $13 million. Like, come on. The French, for, for perspective, the franchise tag for running backs, I think, is about $12.9 million. So basically, you'd be getting Geno Smith for the same number you could get by franchise tagging Tony Pollard. Yes, that is a steal. I don't care how good you think Geno is. That's a freaking steal. Like, just from the math part. Because of that, that cheapness, you know, or the frugality associated with such a move by the acquiring team, I think Geno's worth a couple first-round picks for that reason. Or a, or a one and a two, uh, depending on where the, the one is. Because I think – I don't have the draft order in front of me. Let's see who would maybe do that. Uh, draft order 2024. and pull this up in real time. So, like, if the – dang, there's not a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. But let's say the Bucks they want him. They think Geno's way better than Baker Mayfield, right? They can, they're going to give it up. They have pick like 25 or 26 or something like that. That pick is not worth a ton. So I would need another pick on top of that. Like, yeah, give me your pick next year or something like that to your first because you're already giving me a pick in the back of the round. That's not that valuable, right? So, but whereas a case where I would take a one and a two is if mm, we pick a team in the top 10. Let me pick the Titans. They wouldn't do this, but let's say the Titans are like, hey, we'll take Geno. We want a veteran guy. Well, they're giving you pick six or pick seven. That's worth a lot more than pick 20, whatever the hell you're getting from the Bucks. So in that scenario, yeah, you give me pick six and then you give me like you know, whatever the Titans have in the, the second round. Um, now we're talking, which is still it's I still think that's dumb on the Seahawks part. But what that does is it gives you a direct path to a new guy because you're getting a top 10 pick. In this case, you get like a top. What I say, six or seven? Yeah, top seven pick or something like that, which then you have some ammo to maybe move up or whatever. Like, then you can do that. But if you're just like, all right, now I have pick 16, I have pick 26, I didn't save any cap space by trading Genome, which they wouldn't. Uh, See, so yeah, I have no cap savings um, other than uh, like his, actually, yeah, really no cap savings. Um, I have pick, like in that Buck scenario, I have no cap savings. I have pick 16, I have pick 26, I have no quarterback. That's about, like that's not great. Whereas if like all right, I have picked seven or whatever um, and no cap savings, then I you know and I have two first round picks now I've I have picked seven and pick sixteen, and I got you know no cap savings, but I don't have a quarterback, but I have two top sixteen picks. Then perhaps I'm in the spot. You know what I'm saying? So I think there's a difference in who would be offering what, but I do think it has to start with a one 
and more because of that cheapness. Like, imagine that. Like, I'm getting Gino for the same price I can get Tony Pollard on the tag. Now, I don't think Tony's getting tagged, but you got to get the point. Uh, like, the, the price of a franchise running back is what you were getting Gino at. That's pretty nuts. So I think he's worth a ton um, to the acquiring team uh, in that regard because of how how low cost that is. Like, you know, so I think that's why Gino was so valuable in 2022 because he was making, was it three and a half million or something like that? That got to seven million with incentives. And those incentives meant like he made the Pro Bowl and stuff. You got Pro Bowl caliber play for like seven million bucks, whatever it was in 2022. So, yeah, I think he's worth a ton. Like if someone calls, like if the Titans call or who else is in the top 10? The Giants wouldn't call, but I guess they could. Or the Falcons. The Falcons have pick eight. Like if they call, like, yeah, man, I'm going to need pick eight and then some to mm. do that. Now they're going to hang up, but that's what you have to you know, That's what you have to do. Uh, but on the flip side, if Vegas calls with pick 13 or something like that, um, like, I, I guess, but you're going to have to give me your one next year as well. Otherwise, I'd rather just keep Gino because pick 13 and pick 16 don't. They give me ammunition to move up, but man, I'm, I'm forfeiting a lot here. Um yeah, at that point, you probably got to move up to number one, you know, or number two or something like that uh, with the Bears, who are probably going to take Caleb. But either way, the answer to the trade part, I think he's immensely valuable. Um, I thought it was very interesting that Mike McDonald did not answer the in the affirmative, um, which he had an easy out to do so with a guy on the contract for multiple years. Um, it'll be very interesting on Tuesday. Um, I think it's Tuesday morning, your guys' time, uh, where John Snyder, because I'm going to ask about that now. Either I am or somebody else is like, yo, John, your coach said he don't know if y'all going to have Geno. You just restructured his contract, which makes him harder to get rid of. What's up? Talk to us, John. I don't know what John's going to say. I don't want to guess. But now it puts him in a situation where he, if he doesn't answer in the affirmative as well, that'll be the two most important people in the organization not answering in the affirmative on this quarterback, uh, which then now let the trade speculation roll, right? They're just fueling the machine, the content machine for the next however long to the draft or free agency or whatever. So, Thank you, John, or thank you, Mike McDonald, for giving us something to open the show with. We got plenty of other great questions as well. But yeah, Chris, I can't I can't imagine sitting there as, as Gino's agent or Gino or even some of the guys, you know, on the offense being like, What you mean you're not sure, coach? <laughs> we like Gino. He, he he's he's our guy. Like he can throw, he's a good leader, you know. Um, he ain't old. I mean, he's about to be 34, I think, in November or whatever. Forget when his birthday is, but like he ain't got wear and tear on his body like a normal 34-year-old quarterback. So it's like, yeah, man. Very interesting stuff from the coach there, Chris. He's uh, He kicked off combine week with a bang, uh, so to speak. 1,000%. So that's what was spinning in my mind. It was, wow, that's wild. Your head coach doesn't know. Okay. That's neat. neither here nor there. He doesn't know. As Mike mentioned just now, trade speculation will continue, especially if oh, yeah. GM John Schneider comes up there and was like, yeah, I'm – we're not sure, but we'll have that discussion. We'll have that discussion. Okay, it sounds like you guys are waiting for the right deal, and you're trading them, and you're going to drop the quarterback later. Got it. All right. Yeah, so that's actually before you get to the next question, Chris. That was um, my thought as well as to why a reason why Mike McDonald wouldn't be like, yeah, he's our guy, is because the GM has maybe not directly said how you should answer that question going forward, but just he's done something in the past or alluded to, or there something from their conversations has led him not to answer in the you know in the affirmative um because like you said in green bay the the conversations matt lafleur has with uh i think their their gms like brian whatever uh gooden something like their conversations would lead them for matt lafleur when he's at the combine someone was to ask him that to answer much differently 
same thing with like uh, trying to think who else is like in that well, let's, same. Let's see if we can find a quarterback that didn't make the playoffs, but is good. I feel like that would be easier because all these everyone that we've named. Kyler Murray. If you ask, if you ask Jonathan Gannon, his his based on his conversation with whoever the new GM is, can't remember the name. They would probably be like, yeah, Kyler's our our you know our guy. You know, I don't know if he would say that, but I I would guess so based on what Kyler has put on the field. So Jalen Hurts. Yep, the Eagles, the the Browns. That's you ask the, the GM of the yeah. Browns, like, is Deshaun Watson your guy? Yes, he's our, you know, he's our, he's our guy. Um, Straight all guys who, yeah, I think Jalen also played well and made the Pro Bowl. But either way, you get you, yeah, it fits it fits the example. So yeah, interesting stuff. Thank you, Mike McDonald. Shout out to you, brother, getting the content machine going early, first day back on the job. Thank you. I was able to pull up. Now we're getting into Twitter questions. I was able to pull up who that question was from. It was from Adrian Sacco, and he basically simply asked, if the Seahawks were to trade Juno, what could they expect to receive back in terms of compensation? Mike went over that. He said, hey, we're going to do the first-round pick, second-round pick. Like, what's going on? Have conversations. And then which teams would make the most sense as trade partners? Do you have any – you didn't really touch on it, but who would make sense in this scenario if the Seahawks were to say, let's trade them? Yeah, so makes sense. I don't think there's any team that makes sense for both parties, like the Seahawks and the acquiring team. Now, I do think there are teams that make sense for the for like if they want him, like if Tampa Bay was like, we think Geno's better. I don't think they would do that, but that makes some that at least is not nonsensical, I guess. Um, the, the Steelers are the obvious one, but it's like they're, they're a team that makes sense for the Steelers, but they don't make sense. Like, why would the Seahawks give up pick, give up Geno for pick 20? You know, assuming you're getting the first, like what's pick 20 going to do? And you're not in a position to go get a guy. You, you already got pick 16 if you were going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, obviously you could move up with the extra ammo, but I don't think like pick 20 and pick 16. I'd much rather like if you're going to make the trade, you do it with a team, like I said, in the top 10, preferably in the top five. Like you send Gino to New England or something like that. And then uh, again, the Titans, the Falcons. Like a team team like that, which but but those don't make sense for those teams because they are picking in the top ten. So if they do want to move up, they can just do it, you know, with their own draft capital. You don't really need to go grab Geno. So I don't really think there's a natural trade partner. John's probably in, in Indianapolis right now at a steakhouse in the back room trying to figure that out right now with somebody. That would be my guess, but I don't really see any anybody that makes sense on both parties. I would say the same thing with the Raiders. I don't know if I mentioned them, but yeah, Raiders and Vikings, same thing. You're offering me pick eleven or pick. 13 or whatever it's like eh, maybe but like i'd rather just i need a top top 10 top six top seven top five so i can actually have a nat- more natural path to to getting a new guy you know so i don't think any picking the teams of the 20s makes sense for the seahawks in that regard we got one from phil burnbaum and it's straight to it lock it is he going to restructure or the, will the seahawks offer restructure could he get traded or the Seahawks are going to be like, we're going to have to cut ties with you. What do you think there? Yeah, Lockett is an interesting one um, in terms of, like, salary cap space. Um, let's see. Tyler will be 32, I believe, in September. Um, his cap hit is $26.9 million right now. It's about 10.8% of the, the cap. Actually, I think that's a smaller number of the cap now because the cap got announced, um, which was really interesting uh, I don't know how much our fans care about the like the economics of everything, but the cap got it announced at a much higher number um, than it was projected to be. I, for, I think it was like when you if you read over the cap during the offseason before like the last couple of days, they were projecting it to be like two hundred and forty two million or something like that. Now it's like two hundred fifty five, which that 13 mil is a big jump like that. 
a pretty big jump. So uh, the Seahawks, for example, I think Tyler's deal now takes up 10.3%, which is a little bit smaller number. Um, and if they were to just cut them uh, before uh, June 1st, he'd be what, 7.1 million in savings, not a ton. If they designated him a post-June 1 release, uh, which they could cut him now, and then just designate him that they're going to cut him in June 1 and then spread the money out. Again, we're getting into the economics of it. But the pr- point of saying that is you could save $17 million if you were to designate Tyler that. I think what is more likely is you go to Tyler and you throw an extra year on his deal or something like that. Maybe in like an extra, you throw one extra real deal year on it, like 2026, and then you add a 2027 void year. You take some of his money, uh, turn that into, uh, I think his base salary, yeah, it looks like $15.3 million. You take that, turn that into a signing bonus. You do some contract mumbo jumbo that you can do, spread that out over some void years, bring his number down um, quite a bit. Because it sucks because they, they restructured Tyler last offseason, which that's why his number looks so bloated now. Like they did the same thing they just did with Geno this year. They took some money that he was owed, gave it to him, but then like spread out the impact of it over the remaining years of the deal. Um, so they can, I think they can do something like that again, but I think what's more likely is that like you add years to his deal and it would be kind of funny money years. It wouldn't be real years. I think you add one real year, maybe one funny, funny money year, like a dead year. Um, the only, the only way to do that though, you need uh Jody Allen sign off on that. Some owners are different about void years because a void year basically is like, we're okay with paying this guy at some point when he's no longer on our team anymore. And that's millions and millions of dollars that the organization is shelling out on a guy who was either on another team or is in Cabo or whatever. Right. So some owners are more, some owners have different cash flows, right? Like some, some owners got the cash, like the saints are like, we'll just do it every year. And you look at the Raiders you're just like, you know, Mark, Mark, uh, Mark Davis is just standing there with the bunny ears, you know, empty pockets, you know, some teams have different cash flows and go about things differently. But I think that scenario is more likely um, because here's this reason, Chris, I feel like everyone has their opinions on what the Seahawks should do in the offseason, and they're not saying what their expectations for the Seahawks are, because that's how you have to frame it. If you're OK with a rebuild, then, yeah, you can just get rid of someone like Tyler, because you have to acknowledge that you're probably going to get worse offensively by doing that. You're going to gain some resources, but the resources are not going to be immediately fruitful. Like, I think. um the, the Dolphins, not the Dolphins. Who was that that got rid of somebody and got just as good? Oh, it was the Vikings. They traded Stephon Diggs. They just happened to draft Justin Jefferson, who is arguably better. You know, that is rare. Usually when you get rid of the, the offensive weapon, you get worse. But you get worse in the short term to get better in the long term with assets and flexibility financially. If you're if you're the Seahawks and you're thinking that way, sure, you can get rid of Tyler. You can get rid of Will Disley. You can get rid of Brian Monet, you go to Jamal Adams, Quandre, all these expensive veterans. You can kind of tear the thing down to the, you know, to the studs and so to speak. But if you're like, we want to win a championship in 2024, then you go to Tyler Lockett and you say, Hey, would you like an extension to lower your cap hit? It's going to have some funny money years, but you're going to get some cash up front. Tyler's going to say yes, because he understands the business. And as soon as you say cash up front, <laughs> Tyler's going to Tyler and his, his agent, forget his agent's name, I think it's Brian. Tyler and Brian are going to take it, you know? Uh, so, oh, no, I think his, his, his guy might be named Andrew. Doesn't matter. Brian, Andrew, whoever the hell. Me and Chris could be his agents. As soon as you say cash up front, the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, we're going to take it. I think that is more likely because based on what I'm hearing from John, 
what I hear from Mike McDonald, I mean, the overall kind of tone of the organization in general is that the goal is to win this year, win right as soon as possible. And to, you need Tyler to do that. Maybe I won't say that. I don't say you need Tyler to do it, but He's Tyler makes it to have. He makes it more likely than if you get rid of him. You know, so and I think we can all agree on that. You know, economics aside. So yeah, I think it's more likely that you go to Tyler for an extension because if you want to win, having Tyler is more helpful than whatever resource. You get long-term benefit of getting rid of Tyler, but that doesn't help you if you have short-term goals. You know, oh, that's I should have led with that. That's my bad. That was a much more succinct way of answering that. We got Bam season in the building. He wants you to put on the GM beanie cap, whatever it is you got. I have a hat near me in my hotel room, but okay. <laughs> You're the GM, Mike. A team tries to trade the 18th pick, first round, and 101st pick for DK Metcalf, in or out? Uh, I like this. Um, I actually th- thought about this last night uh, when I saw this question. Uh, probably not is the answer. Because well, first off, you have to start with who has the 18th pick. I know um, Bam's just kind of throwing out a, a number, but like you actually have to physically look at it. I think Cincinnati has the 18th pick right now, so they're just not going to do that, right? Like they're franchising T. Higgins, they have Tyler Boyd, they have Jamar Chase. They got to pay like they got other receiver things to do than take on uh, to give up a first round pick for DK. Um, but I actually view DK very similarly, which is why I like this question because it gives us a good like window into this discussion. I don't think you should trade DK at all, Chris. We've talked about this on the show. DK is a wide receiver one in a way that is not just about his talent. It's like how he manipulates a defense. Like we've seen, we watch the film, we watch the games in real time. The resources that teams allocate to stop him. Personnel-wise and schematically, I guess those go one and the same. Personnel schematically to stop DK Metcalf from breaking the game open, that is worth a lot. It is, because everyone does not do that. They just They just don't. Like some guys warrant that some, some teams are just like, we can play, we can put our best guy on whoever your best receiver is and we'll be fine. Some teams feel comfortable doing that. Very few teams feel comfortable doing that with DK. What teams usually do is they take their best player and they say, go ahead and start pressing the hell out of him up front because you have safety help on the backhand, not just go guard the guy. Like even the Broncos, like gave Patrick Sertan some help, although they, they, they did some one-on-one stuff with the Falcons with AJ Terrell. Even when the, um, the the Rams had Ramsey following DK, they still were playing a lot of quarters and, and, and cover six, um, you know, two high shells to make sure DK didn't blow by guys because he would blow by Jalen Ramsey because he's faster than him, right? So that it's you can't quantify that. Even if you think that JSN and Tyler combo and maybe a rookie, another rookie receiver, even more Bobo, is good, is better bang for your buck. You can't. None of those guys have that impact on a defense. They just don't. So for for me, Chris, are you still on that side? You haven't changed on that opinion, have you? Since what? Gone on nah, man. Leave? If they go, if they, if someone wants to give me DK, it's got to be top five. That's where I'm starting. If, if it's not yeah. a top five pick, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, that, and, and even so that, then, if it like to your point, you know, what team is it? You know, there's <laughs> there's a lot of. I it's got to be top five. If I see a top five pick, maybe we have a discussion. But to your point. DK is a game changer. When he's doing his thing, he's one of the best. Unfortunately, he hasn't been consistent on doing his thing, whether it be just the offense, maybe having him having him having a rough day, only getting one target. But when he is when everything's flowing perfectly, DK is really, really talented. And I don't want to trade that for anything other than a top five pick. So yeah, I'm on the same page. You know what it 
Thank you. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that scene in um, um, Family Guy. I forget what. It's that mystery box episode. Have you seen that where the dude's trying to sell? I don't. I, yeah, I don't. He's man. trying to get Peter to. Uh, Lois wants to buy something more practical. I forget what it is. And everyone listening now is probably mad at me. They're probably yelling at their phone or whatever. Be like, Mike, it's this. Anyway, the gist of it is, is that Pete Peter is uh, he's getting offered like a mystery box or like I think it's a boat. I think like you can, get, you can either get a boat, you get this mystery box, and then like Peter says something to the effect of, he's like, Lois, yeah, a boat's a boat, but. The mystery box it could be anything it could even be a boat <laughs> you know and i bring that up it's like yeah you trade dk it's like well your goal would be to get a guy who's better as good as dk you know and again the, the vikings pulled that off they did they got rid of stefan diggs and Im- immediately got a guy who was just as good as stefan diggs that is nuts that is not that is not normal most teams did not do that go look at the titans after aj brown go look at the uh who else traded the first round? I can't think of somebody off the top of my head now, but we've seen this, right? Even the, uh, I guess the Ravens kind of did it when they got rid of Hollywood. Um, but you guys get the gist. You don't usually just trade the guy, even well, look at the Chiefs, right? And go look at the Packers. There we go. There's some other examples. They got rid of Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill and didn't just find guys who were better. You know, their offenses are okay, but they're not, you know, better, right? So I'm with, I'm with Chris on this. I think you got to get the only person I'm trading DK to is what Chris, the chargers, maybe. Yeah. Out of the division. The, <laughs> yeah, you, the Cardinals got the fourth pick, but I'm not trading Arizona. No, absolutely not. So you can torch me with DK twice a year. I'm good. Dog, DK would put up generational numbers against the Seahawks twice a year. If they trade him to the Cardinals. Yeah. Kyler Murray and him would be doing front flips in the end zone. Duh, it would be it would be disgusting. Yeah, so I think the Chargers is probably where I stopped at. Maybe the Titans or something like that because they have pick seven. Um, but yeah, that's and that's that's a maybe. Um, I need some. I need premium first pick, so not just pick eighteen or something in the teens or something of that. I think that's really really important. And where I think like a team like the um, the Titans erred, like trading AJ Brown wasn't the worst thing. Like if you didn't want to pay him, that's fine. You should trade him before paying him, but. They got what pick twenty three, I think, uh, or something like that, that they used on uh, the kid from Arkansas who isn't good. So like, that is where they messed up. They needed to get a higher pick and you know have a better chance at a uh, a replacement. So thank you for the question. I think it's an interesting one, but for reasons we outlined, I wouldn't trade DK. We have at C underscore teacher. What should the Seahawks do with their first three draft picks? That's a good question. So what are their first three? They're all in the first three rounds? So, there, yeah. 16, so you got number 16, and then you got 78. That's third round. And then another one, third round, 81. So you got 16, 78, and 81. Man, um, this is that's a good question. So so I got still got the GM hat on, right? That's my version <laughs> of putting the crown on for the people who's on, uh, um, on YouTube watching. I would say... Man, so much. This is a big variable that I I think is getting talked about. I don't know. I haven't been kind of tapped in for the last month, so I don't really know what everyone's arguing about on like social media or what they're talking about on the radio or podcasts or whatever. But like Abe Lucas' situation is really huge to me. Like he, when you just have like recurring knee issues, it's pretty bad. bad. You know, like I, I I need definitive answers on that. Like they could be fine. Like for example, I think this time last year we didn't know what was going on with Will Disley's knee. I think. Um, Cause he got hurt against the chiefs and was kind of like, we don't know what's going on in the off season. Pete was like, we don't know if he'll need surgery. 
He might not. And then Will ended up being fine. So Abe could be fine. We just don't know. And I need a definitive answer on that. Like <laughs> needing a tackle is pretty important, you know. So uh, even if it's just the right tackle, you need a, you need two good ones in this league, to, uh, you know, to survive, to have a good offense. So it really depends. You got to start there. If the answer on Abe's knee is like, okay, Mike, he'll be fine, proceed as if we have two starting tackles. Great. That answers a lot. Um, and that's the case, then I'm, I'm slipping to the other side of the ball. Give me the best edge rusher you possibly can. That's where I'd probably start. You know, um, I know they've 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 been mocked a lot to like take D linemen or like uh, interior guys. Kid from Texas, uh, kid from uh, Illinois who had just changed his name. I think I think he just changed it from something that had an apostrophe in it to Johnny. Uh, last name is Newton. But so like I, I get those. I'm not mad at those either. But for me, I just want guys who are just gonna make life hard on the quarterback, man. Um, I, I think that's where you got to go with that first one. If there's somebody there, I don't think you should reach for it. Like, I think they reached Chris in 2019 when they took LJ. That felt like a panic pick. That felt like, damn, we just traded Frank Clark. We ain't got no edge rushers. Let's take one. Even though we don't have him that high on our board, let's just take one because he's the highest one we do have on our board at a position that we feel like we need. Don't do that. Take the best guy. If it's not an edge rusher, it is what it is. I pick 16, but that's where my brain would go as the GM. And if you go there with your, let's say you go there with your first pick, doesn't really care who you take. Let's say you take like the kid from Florida State. Let's say you take him 16. I think your next two picks should be in the trenches. Um, I think you, I, I'm really big on up front now. All this ball I've been watching like the last couple of years, it all really comes back to trenches. Trenches, 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 trenches. That's where I would go. Doesn't really matter at that point if you're going guard. You want to get a center to complete with Olu. You want to go with um, a deep a nose tackle, a more of a three technique. You want to take another edge rusher. Don't really care. Um, you want to take a tackle just in case Abe his knee is like uh, a little funky. I'm cool with all that. I'm cool with trenches, trenches, trenches. If you, if they were to go Chris other spots, I'd be cool with that. But like if you're asking me, Mike's the GM. Put this GM hat back on. Mike's the GM. We are going to try to build trenches, 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 trenches um, as best we can. So we go out there and that make sure every week we are not the t- we're not losing up front. Yeah, some days you might your quarterback might not have it. Um, maybe your receivers ain't you know they don't have they're not they having the advantage this given Sunday. Your tight ends, whatever. Maybe your DBs aren't having the advantage that day. Your secondary, whatever. I'm going to make sure 17 games. We are winning up front. I would approach the free agency like that too. That would be, that would be my, uh, my thing. If I was the, if I was GM, man, I'd be getting a good pay raise too. If I was GM, let's see, that'd be great. I'm not hurting for cash or anything, but man, I've seen Josh Snyder leave the building in his car, so I know what, it, what he's driving. I need to be driving that. I ain't <laughs> driving that. So yeah, John, come on, call me. I would say trenches for sure. I would go D line specifically, just be actually, excuse me, offensive line, just because Tanner Wilson is coming back, and I think there's a lot of talent that is still on the roster that just got to play. Guys got injured, some rookies got injured. Uh, Morris, he wasn't really valuable last season, so hopefully this year he can be that valuable asset that they thought he would be. And then again, as I mentioned, Wilson is going to return. They have some talent, but I I want that offensive line hit first, so I would take that with their first pick, and then in this. Probably in the third round, I would look at linebacker and D-line, depending on what the future is for Bobby Wagner 
we'll probably know more about that probably post before June first, in my opinion. What do you think oh, yeah. about we'll, that? We'll, Mike? We'll, know, we'll know. We'll know pretty pretty soon. I think. I imagine so. Yeah, I think John's gonna make it pretty clear how he feels about Bobby when he speaks on uh, on Tuesday. I mean, he kind of has in the past, you know. Oh yeah, uh, we've you've talked about it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's not even like a big secret. Like if you just only go off of what John has said on the record. Like Pete, basically, when they cut Bobby the first time, was like, yeah, you know, I tried to keep uh, Bobby, but John didn't want to. That's basically what he said, sitting next to John, right? And John had no objection to Pete's description of the events, right? Um, and never objected ever after that. Um, and then uh, now Pete's gone, so you can only imagine, you know, fill in the blank, you know. So we'll see. That doesn't guarantee it, but like just reading the tea leaves, I would think that he ain't. He ain't, he ain't coming back if John has something to do about it, unless Mike McDonald gets in there and, and pleads for him like Pete had to. So uh, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. If you were my assistant GM or I was your assistant GM to you being the GM, I'd be fine with that um, either way. But, I, yeah, I don't think I, – I think you, if you bolster your front seven, you know, that that too. Like linebacker, you throw linebackers in there as well. I think we're both just in agreement. Like at, at DB, DB, receiver, and quarterback – the Seahawks are in a good spot. And those are some really good positions to be in a good spot at because everyone can't say that. Connor Hedges. Chances the Seahawks, John Schneider that is, moves down in the draft, 2025th range, to try to get a second-round pick. Is that a possibility? Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. Tell me the name of the person who asked this again. Connor Hedges. What's up, Connor? This is a good question. I'm sure everyone's wondering this. So I was looking at some uh, – this was before I went on paternity leave. I was looking at draft compensation – um, and if you guys notice, when one of my stories that ran when I was gone, it was like, what can the Seahawks do with the 16th pick? And I had some trade like uh, options in there briefly, but I didn't put all my research in there. But basically what I found was it's going to be very hard to move back and get a second round pick. What's, what seems more likely based on just like how trades have looked in the past, even if you move back, say, for instance, in 2021, I think the, the pick that the Jets got for Jamal Adams, um, they went from, I think, like 16 to 23. They traded back with the Vikings, um, I want to say. Or no, they traded up, I think. I think the Vikings are who traded back. Either way, a team went from 16 to 23. Uh, I think I actually have it here. But, yeah, a team went from 16 uh, to 23. Yeah, they gave up the Jets gave up 23, 66, and 86 to the Vikings. Oh, it was pick 14. Um, so that's a nine-pick uh, slot. So, and that that was only netting them, I think, an early pick in the third, and then a late pick in the in third. So you can do it. Like I'm not really mad at a team if they're like, all right, cool, we're gonna the Seahawks have pick 16. Let's move back to pick 23 or pick 25. But I just think based on some other draft um, trades that I've seen in the past, kind of using those as the precedent, kind of going through the little trade value chart thing that the Seahawks aren't going to be able to get a second round pick, at least not like a dis a decent one. Maybe you get pick 64, maybe. And I think who has that? The chiefs should have that, right? Since they won the super bowl. I don't know if they've made any trades or anything, but let, let's just assume the pick, the chiefs have pick 64 and you know, maybe they'll, they'll give you that or something like that. But otherwise I'm, I'm not really seeing much precedent for move where the Seahawks are. Uh, unless the Seahawks themselves move all the way back from 16 into the second round or just move way back. Like, I don't think you're just moving into that range that Connor mentioned, 2025. I think you're talking about moving from 16 to like 30, which you mm. can do, 
it's fine. I think the uh, I think the 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 Lions before taking Jamison Williams. I think they made a trade with the Vikings. That trade was a little funky, but I think they moved all. I think the Vikings moved all the way from the second round to pick, uh, or the Lions moved all the way from the second round. I want to say to take uh, Jamison in the first. I have to look up that trade while Chris reads the next question. But anyway, short version. I think a trade back scenario just nets you more capital in the third, which I guess you can then use to move up into the second. But I don't think you're going to go from 16 and netting a second round pick unless you move way back in the first round. BG 206 BG. Who do you expect to be released for cap savings versus who would you release, extend, restructure? If you're the GM again, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, I'm GM today. Yeah, nice. I like that. Oh, anyway, so um, I would say that Brian Monet is probably gone um, for math purposes. I forget what they save. Let me look this up. I know I wrote that down somewhere. Uh, they save $5.9 million if you release Brian Monet. That's probably happening. Um, I don't know what they'll do with Will Disley, but that $7 million save seems attractive in that regard. Uh, Jamal, I could probably see them parting with as a June one designation saves you 16.5 million. So I just got, I just saved you. What's that? I'm not, well, look at me, Christian, do math on the show. That's probably around $30 million. I just saved with three, three guys right there. Uh, and you would probably have to use some of that savings to retain maybe Colby or, or Noah, which I think is fine. You know, I don't know where you fall on that, but I think if you, I think any one of Colby, Will, or Noah, if you just make them tight end one, that's cool. I don't really care who it is. They're all about the same level of talent to me. Uh, they're different talents, but the same level um, to me. So I think that if you do that, you'll be fine there. You already got defensive linemen to, to mitigate the loss of Brian Monet, particularly with, like you said, Mike Morris is coming back. Um, they drafted Cam Young. In that scenario, you would almost have to re-sign um, Leonard Williams, which I think you should do anyway. So uh, those are probably the candidates. I, I see a lot of the little bit I've seen on social media since I've been back. 
Chris, I don't know. Did I miss something? It seemed like a full fan based heel turn on Quandre. It's like, yeah, they, they just think he's too expensive and they'd rather, a lot of fans would rather just draft a free safety and go from there and hope for the best. And then, you know, you've, you've expressed this quite a bit and I, I'm with you. It's hard to really find a talented young safety. Though they don't just grow on trees. <laughs> you Particularly don't that, that middle third safety guy, that yeah. deep safety guy. And like, not to mention the Seahawks have been this cover three scheme. Hey, just don't get beat deep. Don't give up thing at the top. You're the last guy. Quandre is excellent at that. There's a reason yeah. why you don't see a lot of teams having deep shots. He picks it off or it's just not there. Obviously, the run game was atrocious, and there's a lot of ugly film of Quandre missing tackles, but it's not just Quandre. You know, he's the last defense. Sure, he should have made a play. He missed it. There's also a lot of great plays. I think his great plays outweigh his bad plays. But then you throw in the age. You throw in how much money he's making. The fans are over it. So that's why when you logged on Twitter and Andre Diggs' name popped up, everyone was saying, get rid of him. Draft the young guy. And when you do that, that goes back to your earlier point, Mike, about well, what is this team trying to do? Well, in all sense of purposes, from what we've heard from Mike McDonald, they want to win now. Hey, guys, releasing Quandre does not put the Seahawks in win-now mode. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. If you're trying if you're trying to rebuild, yeah, that, thank you for bringing that back. Yeah, up. if you're, if you're trying, trying to rebuild, to rebuild. sure. Give it all the – everybody over 30, just get rid of them. I'm serious. Like, that's that's fine. If that's your if that's your team's way of kicking it, that's how you guys are going to get down, that's really not – that's not bad, I guess. You know, you're shedding contracts. That's whatever. But if you're trying to win – yeah, man, I, I just, I, I just, I just really don't see it. The thing he does is pretty valuable, just like Tyler too. Tyler moved the sticks and generates explosive plays. He scores touchdowns. Those are those are explosive. <laughs> those are those are valuable things. Quandre prevents uh, touchdowns. He defends a deep third, middle of the field, um, and that's just a hard skill. Like you guys watch college football, you see, you see all these big plays. Do you know why you don't see all that? You know, with the with the Seahawks, like the biggest plays they give up are usually like pass interference penalties in the passing game which those aren't quandre uh and they run plays you know which sometimes they are him you know um but sometimes they're not but either way like you said the good plays far away the bad and he has a very hard skill set to replace and it's so fascinating that um the seahawks fan base is not more like in tune with that part the, the replaceable the replaceability of his skill set this is a team that watched earl thomas play a very 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 special brand of deep third safety and then they saw immediately after they saw what it looked like when Earl wasn't on the field, whether Earl broke his leg or Earl was holding out. No, no, he broke his leg twice. So Earl broke his leg twice. You saw that. Uh, and you've seen that over multiple seasons before they got Quandre, what it looked like, what, is, what a defense without Earl looks like. It's not good. It was bad to the point where they had to go make a trade. And they really haven't had to watch a ton of the Seahawks football without Quandre. The grass is not greener, guys. I'm telling you, it's hard to find that skill set, that deep third skill set. And not, now, not to say, you know, Chris, they might be listening to us like, well, Mike, what if they don't play any sing- single high like that? You're always going to have that type of stuff in your scheme. You are. You are. You're always going to have times where you load the box or whatever. Even if you're in too high, one of your safeties rotates down or whatever. Just like having a guy with like deep middle field ball skills, that matters quite a bit. And it's the Seahawks have zero track record being able to draft that since Earl. Zero. They've tried zero. Zero, zero, zero. And that was in 2010 they got that right. Haven't got it right since. So 
Yeah, I, I yeah, Chris, that was something I logged on and was like, yo, whoa, what are we doing? Did I miss something? Did Quandre piss somebody off in Seahawks land? I don't know. So strange. Fadi Dimian, he drops through. Do you think Jamal Adams would be open to a contract restructure where he takes less money? Uh, that's an interesting one. I, I probably would guess that you don't restructure and you could rip up his contract. Cause that's really what you would be doing. You'd be ripping. You'd be like, uh, remember they cut Carlos Dunlap basically and tried to do that. Um, I that think they did. So weird. I think they, they cut Carlos and then re-signed him at a cheaper market rate. Uh, I think they were trying to do that with Jaron Reed when he left the first time. And that just kind of went, went awry. So it, every guy is different. I don't know Jamal well enough to know that, but really it was not even like you'd be, um, Adding on, like what I mentioned with Tyler, you like add years because he gets cash up front. What you guys are asking for Jamal's case is um, basically like, hey, we're going to take your deal and go. That's me ripping the page. Uh, you rip that you rip that joint up and then give him a whole new deal. Um, in that scenario, you'd probably get told to screw off, be my guess. And in that case, Jamal would probably then go test the market. That would be my guess. Because the thing with players is they just want to feel wanted. You know, that's really what they, you know, whether you guys dislike Jamal or whatever, that's a pretty common theme about just pretty much all players. They all say that. They won't think over there wanting to. Rush just gave an interview where he said it too. He's like, I want to be in Denver, but I also want them to want me back. You know, and in that case, when teams do go to guys and ask them, it's like, hey, we're going to rip up your deal. We're going to give you a new one that's cheaper. What a lot of times they hear is, oh, this team doesn't want me anymore. Let me go find a team that does. Sometimes they come back like Carlos did. Sometimes they don't. I, forget, I think the Seahawks did that one time when the guy didn't come back too. So uh, it just depends. Uh, I don't I don't see that happening. I think if you're just going to part, they would just be parting, not at a discount. So I think it's something they maybe would broach, but I think I would imagine that going poorly if they tried to do that. Zach Nixon drops through. Jeremy Chin, is he a solid, solid replacement for Jamal Adams, who's young and could be plugged in like Kyle Hamilton? Yeah, I, I think Jamal is the Kyle Hamilton. Like that, that 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 is the guy. Um, you know, um, everything that you see Kyle doing, Jamal. No more spoon. Um, yeah, they're both they both are. It's why they both played nickel. You know, um, some True. some some nickels can also play on the outside, and some nickels can also play safety. Like Quandre kind of transitioned from there, and you see that in a few different types of schemes. So yeah, it, it just kind of depends. But yes, yeah, spoon can do all that stuff. Jamal can do all that stuff. He just got to stay healthy and do it. Like Jamal's been all pro and pro bowl for a reason, right? It's not just like voters are dumb. So it's not just like teams. It's not like all the entire league was just fooled. <laughs> it's like, oh man, Jamal had us all. Uh, he had us hoodwinked. We've been had. No, he didn't. He good player. Um, but I get it. Price tag and everything. Uh, I, I understand that. But no, I, I I don't think. And I like Jeremy Chin. Um, but the reason I say no on this and put my GM hat on again. I think if you get rid of Jamal, you're doing so because you want to spend less on safeties, right? Like, so I don't think you go out and then spend on another safety. You, you, you would, you would get rid of Jamal if you're the organization, because you want to be more cost effective at that position. And so like you have Quandre's salary, you have Julian Love's salary, you have uh, Jarek Reed who could eventually come back. Uh, he'll, he'll be later in the year, but he's a young guy you've invested in. You still have Kobe Bryant sitting there, you know, you have, and maybe you take another guy like in the draft that you can develop, you know, third, fourth round or something. So then you have like two expensive veterans, you know, a couple guys you've already invested in, in Jarek and Kobe. And then you have another young dude. Like that's, that will be the impetus for making that move to me, not to just go buy a, 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 another version of Jamal for lower cost. I don't think you do that. 
I think you 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 would get rid of them to invest in the guys to develop the guys you have and then just go all in on the Julian Love and Quandre pairing. Which if you want to do that, that's fine. But I don't think you do that and be like, all right, who can we find? That's kind of like Jamal, but like not as expensive. It's like, well, I don't think you should look at it that way. I think if you're gonna be if you just want to cut your salary at resource allocation at the safety spot, cool. I'm cool with that. Don't do that and then just like, all right, let's pay for someone else. No, no, no. You're good. You got Julian Love, you got Quandre, develop Kobe and Jerick, and then maybe another guy in the draft. Doing that is, is fine, but I don't think you should do that. And then like, all right, let's see what Jeremy Chin costs. Uh, that seems just like silly to me. If that's the case, just keep Jamal, you know, keep them all, keep Jamal, get rid of some other guys, extend some other guys, and then try to run it back with a really good player when healthy. Chris Leeper, he wants to know if the Seahawks take a quarterback in the draft, who would you want them to take? And then is there a chance, would it be third round or later? Yeah, for me, I just don't see the value in taking a guy in the first round while you have Geno. If you, at that point in the draft, if you still have Geno, so this like this could change if they get rid of Geno. But if they still have Geno on April, whatever the, the heck the draft starts, I just I just really don't see the value in taking a first round guy. I, I just don't. I know people throw the Mahomes example out there that they they traded up for him when they already had Alex Smith. Like for me, the reason that that one doesn't really fit. Obviously, that's a that's a one off anyway. But even if we go with that as like the recipe, I just really feel like it was clear at the time that Alex Smith like had a ceiling. Like it was very clear, like didn't he go Chris like a whole year without throwing a touchdown to a receiver? Like it was just nuts. You know, like wow. you, just, you don't remember that? I do I, not. Yeah, see if you can look that just type that in while, while I'm talking. Alex Smith entire season without throwing a touchdown pass to a receiver or something like that. I'm pretty sure it was like 2015 or something like that, 2014, 2016, maybe. But it was just nuts. Like that type of guy, it was very clear, had a ceiling as your franchise quarterback. Like we had already seen him in San Francisco. We saw him in Kansas City for a little bit. You could see why I was like, we're not even gonna get it. We've, we're putting the infrastructure around this guy in multiple organizations, and we're just the ceiling's not high enough. 2014 2014 you did that right yeah like yeah that's nuts that is insane like to, to go that long without throwing a touchdown pass to a receiver that also probably speaks to the quality of receivers that they had but either way not one wow yeah so, jamal charles had five travis kelsey had five tight end the backup had four and then running backs and a fullback had four touchdowns together so that's that's insane that's nasty yeah, like his it, it, so the ceiling and that was with Andy Reid, I think, right? Um, I think he was the coach of the Chiefs by then. So uh, either way, we've seen multiple. Alex had a ceiling, right? And I think Geno's is a little higher because he's a better passer, and so uh, and he can move a little bit too. So um, yeah, I don't, I just don't think that works. Now you're talking third round, like someone, one of my homies asked me in a group chat like a week or two ago, it was like the Seahawks should take Penix. I was like, sure, just not with your first pick take Penix in the third and believe it or not there are people who have Penix with third round grades I know we're in like UW Husky country with where we do our podcast at sorry you guys it's just it's the matter that's the truth some people do some people have him first rounds people have him second some people have him third he could be available then it wouldn't be the first time a really good college quarterback was drafted in the third round it's okay it's you know it's not an affront to Michael Perrings character it's okay uh so yeah I think I, w- I would like Penix in that range take Bo Nix in that range uh, you could take the kid from Tulane in that range. I think Michael Pratt, I think is his name. Take him in that range. Third round is where I'm like, okay, you could take a guy. 
uh, to learn behind Gino, just like Russ. I think this is very similar to the 2012 situation where it's like, yes, you invested in Matt Flynn, but you were like, hey, it's the third round. Screw it. Let's take a guy. He's young. He could be his backup. Who knows? He could take the job. I'm cool with doing that in the third round. What was what was Russ? Pick 75, I think. Cool. Before that, you bugging. So, yeah, I'm cool with the quarterback, pretty much any of those guys I named, or any quarterback in the draft for the most part, once you get into round three. Anything before that, I think if you still have Geno on the roster under that contract, you're, you're, not, you're not building the right way. This question is from Pouring Rain 206. Can you see the Hawks drafting Michael Penix? Yeah, I, I, I could, actually. I just don't think it'd be in the first round. I mean, I, I know I sound like a, I'm a coog, big coog. Chris is a coog as well. So I don't want us to come off as haters when we say that. At least I say. I don't know where Chris is on this. I just don't see a first-round guy with Penix. I just don't. Uh, think the, I don't think the accuracy is consistent enough. I don't think the mobility um, is there, nor do I think it'll sustain because of the injury history. Um, like He's going to have to be a pocket guy for sure, and I need the accuracy and the pocket presence and the movement to be more consistent at all three levels. But anyway, and, and again, I'm not the only person who thinks that. You find plenty of people who know even more about football than me who – see the same thing. But I also think this about Penix, uh, and I've said this elsewhere, he very much seems like, at least if you're going to play him early, he is like guy who needs the things around him to be really good. Like we've seen with like the Jared Goff teams that have been successful in the NFL. I think Penix could be better than Goff because his arm is stronger. Um, but like you see the 2018 Goff, 2023 Goff, he had great old lines, uh, fantastic running game that you had to account for really dynamic pass catchers at multiple spots, really good tackles. So his pass protection was nails. And then he looked great carving folks up until the Super Bowl, of course, same thing with Penix. Penix's team was loaded at very important spots. He was tearing folks up until he got to the last game of the year, played a real defense. And then he looked mortal, right? So I think that if you're an NFL team, you don't drop Penix onto like the commanders. He's going to fail. You need to drop him on a team that's where the infrastructure is already there. And for the Seahawks, I don't think I think they have too many holes to fill. But I think like Penix would be great on a team like Detroit. If the, if the, if the Lions want to take Penix, and they say, "Hey, we're not about to pay Jared Goff sixty million dollars. We'd rather just pay Penix in twenty twenty five. Roll with him. We got the low line. We got the receivers. We got the tight ends. We got the run game. We got the coach. Let's roll with that." I think that makes more sense because they have the infrastructure. Um, a team like Green Bay would be the same too, but they already have Jordan Love, um, who I'm sure they're going to have to pay $50 million to. But the Dolphins, the Dolphins are like, we'll just rather have cheaper Penix than cash out $55 million for Tua next year. I could see that too, but I don't think the Seahawks are in in those boats. Um, I don't think they have the infrastructure like some of those teams have to for their quarterback to succeed right away. Chris Lee, he asked, would you draft Bowers at tight end if he's there at 16? Yeah, Chris, you're going to have to help me out here. When did this pop up as a thing? <laughs> like in I, the Seahawks land. You know, we're talk I, they're talking about the Georgia guy, right? The, yeah. I, I know who they're talking about, but that's not a – that for me, I, I don't look at it and say, oh, yeah, the Seahawks can definitely get a new tight end. They're missing O-line, D-line. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I just – fascinating question. Maybe – Maybe this dude is a really great run blocker, and he'll if he comes to Seattle, the run game is immensely better because he is able to run block, he's able to pass block, and he can catch footballs. I don't see that, so I'm not. No, I don't. 
the Seahawks should not take him by 16 if you're asking me. But, Mike, the the floor is yours. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I don't even know how this came up as a thing. I just – yeah, man, I feel like that's a luxury pick um, on a team that can't afford that right now. You just – you just yeah, you just explained it. All those answers that Mike literally gave you mm, about two and a half minutes ago, apply that now. Well, and, and yes, that and additionally, I think that this front office has proven – the ability to find capable tight ends later in the draft, you know, like Cape, like Nick Vanette was fine on a rookie deal. Will Disley fine on a rookie deal. Kobe Parkinson fine on a rookie deal. They've had some Luke Wilson. Didn't he get hurt though? His rookie year. Oh, Kobe. Col- yeah. He broke his foot. Um, That's what it was. Yeah. But just like on, I'm saying on the rookie deal in totality, not yeah, really the rookie overall. year, the, the four deal. years that they were cheap. Yeah. Will Disley. Great. in the rookie deal. Colby, perfectly fine on his rookie deal. Luke Wilson, Nick Vanette, um, I think that's all at the top of my head. But, like, they, they, they can find that. And I think the highest pick out of all those guys might have been Vanette at pick 94. Um, so they've, they've proven that. Whereas, like, safety, like I said, they haven't. So, like, when they want to pick a safety high, I can kind of understand because, like, clearly bargain shopping doesn't work for us on that, at that position. You know, it just hasn't. That's why the Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet picks for me were kind of funky because it was like, We've seen you get guys later. Um, hmm. Why do you need to, you know, use pick 40 on that? Um, but it's whatever. We're not here to discuss running backs per se. But, yeah, I, I just feel like the t- even the best tight end in the league, I feel like it's hard to justify with pick 16 unless he's about to be the focal point of your passing attack. And even then, we've seen the limitations of that. Like, look how bad people talked about the Chiefs' offense this year because it wasn't good with a tight end as, you know, the focal point of their passing game. That's just tough, you know. So, yeah, this guy would be like the the, the tight end they draft Brock Bowers if they drafted him. Let's say they keep DK and everybody, he'd be like the fourth option. Your 16th pick should never be your fourth option if he's a pass catcher. No way on God's green earth. I don't even think he should be the third option. You know, like that Top that two. high, he needs to be number one or two. And if you are building your offense around that, I think you're you're gonna hit you hit a little bit of a ceiling there. You know, so even like I think Detroit is a honestly a good example uh, in that regard too, with Laporta being like their number two. That does come with a little bit of a ceiling. Not to say you can't succeed with that. Lions offense is great, but you get deeper into the playoffs and stuff. Like you're gonna want a second guy as a receiver. I think. Axel MTG. Speaking of tight ends, could Bobo move to tight end if he put on some mass? Yeah, I don't know what Bobo weighs right now. I guess I could check the Seahawks site. Um, but it's funny. I, I saw Bobo before I watched Bobo's film when I was like looking at the undrafted guys they signed and I saw how slow Bobo ran. I was like, yeah, he, you guys would probably find it. I think I wrote this. Like, he should probably think about switching to tight end. I'm pretty sure I wrote that about Bobo. Um, like, without ever really watching him, just kind of looking at statistically, he's listed 207. Uh, on the site, I don't think you can put on what he needs to put on to play tight end. Probably have to add about 30 pounds. That's that's tough. And then he'd have to learn how to carry that weight and still be able to move and stuff like that. So, no, I, I don't think so. I really think, like, I'm, I'm serious about this. Like, you just pick – I don't care if you do three-card Monty. Or you know how, Chris, you go to a Mariner game and they do the little speedboat races and they got the three, yep. the green, yellow, and the red. I think if you can – the Seahawks go to a Mariner game Say the red hydro is no offense, the yellow hydro is Colby, and the green hydro is Will Disley. Whichever hydro wins on this day is the tight end. We are going to make tight end one. Let the other two go. I'm saying you could do that, and you keep 
Tyler Mabry as the backup, and then you draft another guy late in this draft, and you go with whoever, either Noah Colby or Will is tight end one, Tyler Mabry tight end two, and then the rookie tight end three. I th- and then you keep the Brady Russell dude you picked up from the Eagles. I think that's perfectly fine for your tight end room. I really is. Colby, Noah, and Will Disley, I think, can all be number one tight ends in a good offense. They had all three of them. Their offense wasn't good enough. But you just pick one of them and invest in him. Like, yes, I still think Will Disley can be that too. Like, Will Disley, Chris, you know what his best game this year was? It was that final game. Arizona. Uh, you know what happened in that final game? Will Disley. touchdown. <laughs> but Noah Fant got hurt in that game. And, and he didn't play, basically. And then, look, Will has his best. Like, Will can still be that guy. He just can't be it while the other dudes are, you know. So, on the team, taking up all their snaps. So, yeah, I don't think you got to move Bobo or draft Brock Bowers. I think you got the guys. You just got to pick a guy. I think they tried to have, you know what I'm saying, too many cooks in the kitchen. Just pick one dude. Maddie F. Brown. That name sounds familiar, huh, Mike? One Yo, of the- what up, Maddie? He is. He just makes it really simple. What should Seattle do at inside linebacker? I think this is very. Can I can I combine uh, a question? Can you find me who asked the question while I'm uh, while I'm answering this? Can you find me who asked um, what should we expect from the defense from a scheme standpoint? Um, yes, because I want to I want to shout them out for that question and combine from, this answer. That is from Matthew Munt. Okay, so oh, we got two Matthews or two Mats. Um, in the in the answer, you got Maddie and Matt. Cool, it's perfect. So to address the Maddies in this question, to address the Mats, I think what you do at inside linebacker dictates how, what you will see from the scheme standpoint. Because the reason, one of the reasons, I think you could be so dynamic in Baltimore the way Mike McDonald was, is because Patrick Queen and Roquan were so interchangeable, so athletic, and and so versatile. And I think that. You can bring back Jordan and Bobby if you want to, but I feel like you're not getting the same like scheme flexibility. Like for this project I'm working on currently, I've had to go back and watch some old Legion of Boom stuff and just seeing the way KJ and Bobby were able to move, even Malcolm Smith, honestly, in like those early years, particularly the Super Bowl years, you could just do anything you wanted because KJ could turn and run with anybody. Bobby could turn and run with anybody. Like it was just, it looked very much like what we're seeing from Roquan and and Patrick right now. It even looks a little it looked a little similar to what we're seeing from Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. They can turn and run with whoever and they can blitz and they can go they can get to the sidelines. They can cover the flats, they can cover the hooks, they can turn and run with over routes. They could both do it and it gave them flexibility. If you want that flexibility, I think you have to go Jordan and then someone else with that similar like athletic profile. Like, you go get someone like, um, I think all of the Chiefs linebackers are free agents, it feels like, like Bolton, Gay, Tranquil. I think at least two of those three I just named are free agents. You go get, like, Jordan and Tranquil, Drew Tranquil. Um, you go get, like, him or something like that. And I think I think this is what they were thinking when they invested it, or they're like, hey, we don't need Bobby. We can go with Cody and Jordan. Because Cody and Jordan are that, in theory, like, from an athletic standpoint. Cody can turn and run with the best of them. Cody's fine. I know they don't really like him out there in D.C., but, like, he can do that athletically. Jordan clearly has it athletically. And, again, it sh- in theory, should have given them some versatility. It just didn't. But I think if you do that, if you want that versatility scheme-wise to be able to just, like, mug the gaps and not be able to tell who's coming and, and drop stuff out and drop this guy here and have this guy be the hook on this play and, like, just mess with people, 
offensively. Like, if you want to have that flexibility, I think you have to keep Jordan. Like, Jordan should be a priority no matter what. But you keep Jordan, and then I think you find someone who profiles similarly athletically. Like, I think you go find that. Hurts my heart to say that. Um, cause it, but if you want to run Bobby back, too, that's fine. I just think that you have to take – your scheme has to look a little different um, there, which I think is fine, too, because Bobby's still a good player, still a good leader, still has the best brain I've seen in football, probably his and KJ's. So, like, that's fine, too. But I think if you want, if you try to mimic Baltimore, you go you go a different direction. If you want to try to build maybe on what Seattle already had, then you run back Jordan and, and uh, Bobby. Both of those are fine, but I think people probably want to see more of the Baltimore look. There we go. This next one is from Tanner Cockerill. Who, in your opinion, has been the best or most exciting coach hire? Do you have one, Chris? I have one. I'm going to see if you have one, too. I do. I'm going to go with Ryan Grubb. And the reason I'm going to go with Ryan Grubb is because this offense, it needs something. It needs a spark. And watching what he did at Washington was incredible. Now, granted, it's college football, so it's... I'm not saying it's easier per se, but what they were doing, I don't know if it'll translate right away to the NFL. There's gonna be there's gonna be he's gonna have to do certain things differently, obviously. And I just want to see what this offense is gonna look like under Ryan Grubb and having Geno Smith and having DK Metcalf and JSN, two talented wide receivers. This is gonna be something fun. This is exciting. He's coming from an offense at UW where they just threw that thing all over the field. Michael Penn has dropped back and was launching the football. His receivers are making play after play after play. So that's that's who I'm excited. I'm not saying he's the best coach hire, but that in that scenario slash best most exciting. I'm rolling with Ryan Grubb as the most exciting. Glad you picked that. We didn't talk about this beforehand, so you could have stolen mine. Mine actually <laughs> is Leslie Frazier um, because I do think you, I think experience is important here because you're trying to go you're trying to make a deep playoff run. And that's going to involve you doing a lot. You're going to have to manage personalities. You're going to have to manage like the media. You're going to have to manage social media amongst your players. You're going to have to manage guys uh, having expectations for themselves based on how much money they're making, based on their draft slot, based on just all these other things about their egos and everything. You have to you're going to have to coach your coaches. You're going to have to just like out coach the other team on a weekly basis. And you can do all that stuff. It's just harder. The degree of the, excuse me, the degree of difficulty is higher when you're all in these new spots. I don't think their special teams coordinator has done this at the NFL level. Grubb hasn't done this at the NFL level. Mike McDonald's never been a head coach. Um, the DC they grabbed, uh, the guy who was a D-line coach in, in Dallas, he hasn't done this before. So there's all this newness. And I like the idea of having some experience in the building. Because if you want to make a deep run, you need the experience. If you're just trying to like the Patriots, seem like they're like rebuilding. So it may not matter that Mayo is not like super experienced or whatever. And I don't know if his staff is experienced, but you guys get the gist. So that's my, the one I'm like, okay, cool. I'm glad he's on staff because they, maybe he can be a guiding light um, because there's going to be so much stuff that this staff just comes across that's new. And maybe Leslie can be like, oh yeah, he can draw on something to help them out and give them some, some advice as they try to navigate all these things that are going to come up that are just unexpected when you're first time in that position that you're in as an NFL coach. This one is from at P underscore Joel. Are you excited or concerned about the quote unquote youth movement the Seahawks have going on this coaching staff? Yeah. Great segue into that. Yeah, I am. I am because also for this project I've been working on, I'll tell you guys more about it later, but um, I've gone back and like, again, I'm, I'm revisiting the old days and I'm just seeing 
I'm, I'm, I'm seeing how important the staff was. Pete hired a really all-star staff of dudes. That is as much part of the success as, as anything. It wasn't just Pete and his culture and John and the, and the Legion of Boom and the players. It was a Kippy Brown. It was a Chris Richard. It was a Ken Norton. It was a um, Dan Quinn. Like they had these guys, even Bev, you know, they had a Tater uh, early on working with the quarterback. So all of these guys were so important. And a lot of these guys who are in these spots, I don't think Mike McDonald's entire staff is new, but like the, the premise of the question suggests, which is accurate, it's a lot of youth. It's a lot of newness. Not to say that can't work, but that is like, it does give me a little bit of pause for a team that's trying to go far right away. So, like I said, I'm really glad that they hired Leslie. There's some other guys who have been around, two other on the staff, but I'm really having mixing in some experience matters. It's the same thing with building a roster, right? You just can't have a bunch of young dudes. You need some vets. You need some vets. You need some dudes who've been around the block, who've been to the playoffs, who've been on bad teams so they can appreciate where they're at now, who've been on good teams so they can show guys how to be successful, right, who have gotten paid already, who know how to handle the, having money and expectations, who have been early draft picks. So they had, know how to handle those expectations and the media and social media and everything. You know, you can't just have a team full of young pups. You get smoked. You need some vets, too. And your coaching staff has to be constructed the same way. So I am I do have some concerns about that. But that's where, I, again, I think having a few vets, including a guy like Leslie, is, is pretty important. Mark Petrie. He asked, do you see any interesting narratives within the coaching staff departures and retentions? Um, not really. Uh, I don't. I wasn't really surprised. I know some people were to like see that not many people were retained. That didn't surprise me at all. That is the thing I was most sure about when they when they fired Pete. I was like, his staff is gone. <laughs> like, because if the staff was doing its job to a level that was sufficient for Jody Allen and even John Snyder, Pete wouldn't have got fired. I think quietly, this is just me speculating, um, but I think that part of why Pete was let go, because it was like, dude, you need to get these staff hires right. You probably need to fire so-and-so and so-and-so. And Pete was probably not willing to do that. You know, he's a little cat. So uh, I think that would be, that's just a guess. I don't really know that. Like, no one told me that. Um, so that would be my speculation. So I was not surprised that all these guys were gone. Who did they, who, who all got kept? Just Carl Scott, right, I, I think? Well, I think this next it. question is right here for you, Mike. Sugar Shane, is Mo Kelly staying around or is he gone? Yeah, see, Mo Kelly's still around. I think he was actually on my flight to Indy. Uh, Mo Kelly is different, though. He's like, the, I forget his official title, something like VP of Player Affairs. Mo is basically like the, like, his office is the safe space. If you're not getting targets, if you're not playing the position you like, if you're mad at Pete, you mad at his position coach, you mad at one of your teammates, even if it's not football, if you don't got arrested or something like that, or if you don't, you, you cheat on your wife and she going, she, she throwing stuff at you, she don't throw you out the house. You know, your kids are, you know, back, back talking you, you don't know how to handle it. You've had a death in your family. You can just go in Mo's office and get it off. No judgment, no nothing. You can just let it fly. He's like free therapy. I guess it's not free because they're paying him, but you know what I mean. Like that's Mo in the building, and he is an invaluable resource to the players. So I'm sure Mike McDonald was made aware of that Mo standing around. Um, so that would, yeah, I, th I think that matters. But like the terms of the guys coaching ball, I think I think Nico Thorpe's still around. And I think Carl, I know Carl Scott is still staying, and I, I think that's it. I'm not surprised that like Clint, um, who else left? Like Shed left, go to Miami. They lost the entire offensive staff. Again, not a surprise. Like, I, yeah, not a surprise for me. I think that 
if you're going to cleaning house with Pete meant getting rid of getting rid of his staff too. Like that for me, that was one in the same. So I'm not surprised that a lot of those guys didn't stick around. KC Masterman, Masterman, excuse me. Any word on what Pete Carroll is up to these days? And has it hit you guys yet that Belichick, Carroll, and Saban won't be coaching football this season? So far, I don't. I don't, KC. I don't know what Pete's doing. I'm hoping to talk to him um, for a story. I think like next month. Um, but yeah, I think that is kind of interesting. I'm not surprised that like. Saban, Belichick, P, or even Vrabel are out of the game because I do think that you're getting all these new people who are owning teams. Not all these, but like there's fewer and fewer. It feels like families that are like still owning these teams who like bought them a long time ago and like passed them on to their kids who are running them. You know what I'm saying? You're getting like new people with like who are already rich coming in and buying these teams. So you get newness there. And then so you're getting these new GMs, you're getting these new coaches who just everybody just wants new. They want their thing. They want to recreate their thing. And when you uh, when you bring in like a Pete or a Belichick, one, they probably feel like you have to give them the keys to the organization because that's what they're accustomed to, which is fine. You know, but if you're like Atlanta, you're like, eh, we'll just hire Raheem Morris we, and keep our GM. We don't want to make Belichick the GM here, too. Same thing if you're the Chargers. It's just like, mm, we don't want to give Bill the keys to the organization. You know what I'm saying? we He's a good coach. But, you know, same thing with Pete. And it's like team's not going to hire Pete and give him the keys all over again, right? So um, I think that's part of it. But the other part is, like, teams just want their newness. They want their guy. I mean, look how John Steiner looks sitting next to Mike McDonald, dog. Did you watch his press conference, Chris? He looked like they like he was in love. Well, he loved that man. He's like, look at this. He's like, look at like a shiny new toy, you know? He was super giddy about having that because it's like, yeah, this is my thing. When I flew up here in 2010, I had a note about I was going to hire a guy. Then they told me I already had a guy. So I had to throw them notes away. Now I got my notes. I got my guy. You know what I'm saying? And everybody wants to feel that, it, it seems, across the league. There are some retread hires, but for the most part, we are seeing regimes want to feel like they're getting a new guy. So um, it is a little funky to not see Belichick, Saban, or like even Pete Carroll coaching this year. But uh, overall, when you when you look at the landscape of college football and the pros like it, it, i can see how teams came to those conclusions at rock paper cloud he drops in and asks any ideas on how this reorganization of this team is affecting player morale yeah i haven't got a feel for that i'm um, glad we kept the question in here though because that is a good one I, i'm i'm trying to get a feel for that but again i've been on dad duty for the past month or so so i uh, haven't got to tap in yet it sounds like though the players haven't been like talking to the staff all that much, probably like some stuff here and there, but not really uh, a total sit down. Like they know their coaches and what scheme they're going to run. They probably got a feel, but it sounds like they're being kept somewhat in the dark because who knows how long they're going to be here. Right. Like shoot, you don't know if Gino and Drew are part of the you know, plans. Right. So uh, no, I don't think you got much of a feel. I know the players I talked to in the aftermath of firing Pete were just like, Hey, yeah, you know, you know, I can see why it happened. It was probably time for a change, yada, yada, yada. But I haven't necessarily tapped in with anyone since Mike McDonald's got hired. So the little bit I've done with some former players has been positive. But I think I think we won't really get a good feel of how the players are reacting until, like, OTAs start. At Kana Pratik, he asked, what big picture changes do you expect on O and defense this year? Oof, this is a good one. On O, I would hope – that the run game is much better, better. That's the thing. I think, and I think they need a more of a commitment to 
uh, a physical style, like the, like the Rams this past year. You know, the Rams used to be a get-to-the-perimeter team. Uh, instead, they were like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to run it right the middle at you guys. That's going to be our identity. We're going to be more smash mouth than we were in the past. And they did a good job with that. They kind of changed their identity in that regard. And then on defense, I think you're probably going to see a more aggressive team, which is, again, why I think you're probably going to see them pivot to Jordan and someone who profiles differently athletically than Bobby just because it gives you more room to be aggressive because you're going to want to be able to, like, all right, this is, we're giving you guys this look, but it's really this. All right, guys, bail out. Or now we're in this man look. Or now we're, all right, we're, we're, we're fanning a blitz, but we need you guys to bail and turn and run. Like, I feel like you're going to see more aggression in that way, like we saw in Baltimore. It won't be exactly the same, but some of the pieces are very similar uh, in Seattle to what Mike had in Baltimore. So I feel like you are going to see more just aggressive, more trying to dictate what the offense is doing, more than just being like, oh, the offense is in this, so we're going to counter with that. I feel like it'll try to an attempt will be made to bring the fight to the offense. Uh, it would it'll be subtle stuff that we probably won't get a good feel for until like the first couple of games, but that would be my guess. Um, without with like having never spoken to Mike McDonald, <laughs> that's like my guess of what he'll do. Michael Meyer Jr. Michael Miles Jr. That is, excuse me. Do y'all see the team having immediate success with the new regime? Ooh. I would say I don't know. What do you? I don't know, Chris. I, that was I tough. About this, yeah. I don't. That was very tough. I would say, mm, it's easy to say no, right? Because everything is new, so that would be the easy cop out answer. But okay, so we have to we have to we have to define success to make the answer easier. So I'll, let's, let's go. I'll pose. I'll pose checkpoints to see if you agree that they can hit these in in year one. So okay. let's go. Win the division. No. Finish second in the division. That's feasible, yes. Win 11 games. No. Win a playoff game. Ye, no. So that would be, so in that scenario, that's like 10 and 7, get They're back to the wild card round. Yeah, they they yeah. they. That's how. That's what I. That's what I envision. And is that a successful season? In my eyes, you got a new head coach. Yes, with everything that they have done, they didn't bring back Pete Carroll to get back to that point with a new coach, a new leader. I, in my eyes, that's that's moving up. That's positive. That's mm. a good sign. That's good. I think I agree with the answers to all the questions that I asked you. I agree with all your answers. <laughs> I just have a different conclusion. I would not deem that a success. Because I think you okay. can do that with Pete. I do. I think you can you can win, you can go 10 to 7 with Pete. You know, yeah, Jason Myers field goal away from doing that last year. Um, so yeah, I, I think you could do that with him. So no, I, I I agree that that is probably at least right now what it looks like the roster could be capable of, but I just don't deem that a success. I feel like if you're gonna that's the thing about firing Pete, you fire Pete not because the floor, you fire Pete because you think the ceiling can get higher. 10 games and Pete could do that. He can get 10 games in his sleep, you know? So, uh, or he can get you right around that range. He can get you, Pete can get you bounced in the first round, you know what I'm saying? So no, but I agree that that is where the, that's what it looks like it could be heading, but yeah, I just don't, I think that's like, I would, if I, when I write, if that's what happens, I'd be writing. That's a major failure at the end of the season. I'd be like, you guys are like, y'all fire. My lead would probably be like, y'all fire Pete for this. That'd be probably my first sentence. 
It'll well, be justified. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand on it, even though you butchered me. But it's okay. No, that's cool. We're not supposed to always agree. That's good. I'm glad. No, I, I hear you, but yeah. all your points make a lot of sense, and I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> on hindsight, there maybe I should say that's a failure. But in fairness, for a new coach to come in, and we'll, you know, the biggest thing is, this is me assuming no Bobby. This is me assuming no Jamal. There's a lot of intangibles in there that I didn't get into, but. That's what I would envision, and maybe that doesn't change your opinion at all. Well, Chris, Pete Carroll can probably still do the same thing. I got a point there. So, moving on, this is from Michael McNewhouse. What are you most excited about heading into 2024 with the Seahawks? Uh, that's a good question. Also, in this project, I'm, I, I keep referencing it, not giving you guys anything. I'm sorry, but on this <laughs> thing that I'm working on, looking back, it's so it's so important what the Seattle culture was in the years with Pete, like it was so strong. And like one of the focuses of what I'm working on is, is Marshawn Lynch. And like, it was so impressive. Like it was so important that guys were willing to strain, give everything they had to make sure they made their blocks for Marshawn. Obviously because their job was to make the block, but also because they loved Marshawn Lynch. Mm. They were like, I'm going to block for Marshawn because I love this guy. I love what he stands for, and I love how he runs, and I love what he means to this team. So I'm going to go reach this three technique. I'm going to go reach this linebacker. I'm going to go crack the safety because that's because that's what 24 – if 24 was in my position, he would do that for me. There was so much, like, love your brother energy there. And not to say that the teams after that didn't have that, but it wasn't as noticeable, I think. Like, I think guys loved each other to that extent in some of these other iterations of the team from, like, 2017 to 2023, but it didn't it didn't have the same intensity, I don't think. I think they were trying to chase the ghosts of that intensity and couldn't, you know what I'm saying? Because when they initially got here, those guys didn't know they didn't have anything to chase in 2011, 2010, 2012. They were just being themselves and being what they knew, which is, like, they, were, they, they, didn't, they didn't have an example to follow. Whereas those the teams that came later were like, oh, here's all these examples of how things were, and this is what, what the standard is. And I think it just they just weren't able to meet it. So I'm interested to see how Mike creates a new culture. Pete's mm. thing was always competing. It was like Pete was kind of the flavor of the month for a little bit. You know, like he was the basketball hoop, the ping pong tables, the, the music at practice, the celebrities and Will Ferrells and stuff, and Snoop Dogg pulling up. Like that wasn't. He brought all that from USC. You know what I'm saying? He had the sauce. And then you see now teams, everybody got basketball hooping they think. Everybody having celebrities pull up. You know what I'm saying? Like every coach is like, you know, cracking, not every coach cracking jokes, but you get the point. Like Pete Pete was unique. He was one of one in a way that people then tried to copy. Um, and now some of the stuff that he does is the standard, you know? So I'm, I want to see Mike McDonald, what sauce he's going to put on this thing. Because that's important. They had some sauce back in the day. Um, you know, they had some aura to him, some juice. So I want to see how Mike puts his spin on that. And I want him to do it completely different than Pete, but I just honestly, I just want him to do it in a way that's authentic. So whatever that is. So I'm very curious to see how that looks. And last but not least, from Brendo Pretendo, how's baby Destin? Oh, we should have led the show with that. Uh, thank you, Brendan, for asking that. Um, she's good. She's seven months. Uh, she's crawling now. She just started crawling last week. So we had to go get the baby gate. Um, yeah, man. Crawling, as, as all the parents listening know, crawling is a game changer, dog. When the, when the babies get to moving, for real, oh, my God. You can't even turn your head for a second, you know, and they out the crib. They out the little play area. They tugging on stuff. 
Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's 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 rough. But it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. The, the crawling, she's like, she's like babbling, not fully talking yet, but like you know, babbling, blah, 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 you know, saying weird stuff like that. You know, how babies are. Um, but other, yeah, she's healthy, growing. So I'm glad, glad we got a question about that. She's doing good. I'm doing good. I'm getting sleep. Mom is not. Um, you know, it's a typical baby stuff. Uh, but yeah, crawling is the game changer now. So if one day we're recording and my computer just shuts off, it's probably because Destin crawled under my desk and and pulled my laptop unplugged or something like that. So I'm gonna blame it on the baby in advance. But yes, thank you for asking. She is doing very good. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. It's been another episode of Seahawks Man to Man. We want to thank you guys out there, Twitter, YouTube, all the social media, all the love and support following we appreciate it and we're looking forward to continuing doing the show so anything else you'd like to add mike before we get out of here uh thank you for the love and support back from leave and get right to it back on for the next few months free agency combine drive let's do it people hit that subscribe button and uh, thank you for the love and we'll catch you next time the headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place the elites in charge say everything's fine stop noticing but you know better and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos my Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready our foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com